SCORE Innovation Podcast. Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast channel for a new property and casualty episode. My name is Margaret Rose. I'm the head of professional alliance and cyber for the US. With me is Adriana Garcia, assistant vice president, and we are your hosts today. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. Let's dive into today's topic, which is cyber insurance. So Adriana, there are lots of topics for us to get into. Um, I thought, why don't we start with a 30,000 foot view of the market? There's been a lot of chatter um, in the marketplace pointing to a still volatile market environment, prices going up, uh, capacity going down, underwriters mandating cybersecurity requirements for their clients and so on. As a frontline underwriter, is that something that you still seeing? Is that something that you agree with? Yes, it's definitely something I'm still seeing and it is something I agree with. The market, although now feels more mature, is still a very young product. It's less than 20 years old. And in an ancient industry such as insurance, cyber is definitely still the new kid on the block. And for a long time, I think a lot of us were underwriting it without asking a lot of questions. And it comes down to a couple of things. Um, Number one, the threat landscape has completely changed. Two, pricing was probably inadequate because there wasn't enough data and there wasn't enough models because the product is so new. And three, the brokers really pushed to have incredibly thin pricing and unsustainable structures in terms of the programs they put in place. So right now we stand at a place where all of things have changed and now it's a hard market and not just a hard market, but it's a reckoning of everything coming together where now underwriters not just have the power, but they have the power to change this and to hold not just brokers and insureds accountable, but overall we're putting everyone in a better place to push a more sustainable product. And the product still absolutely serves a need when a company goes down due to a data breach, a ransomware attack, you name it, this product does save companies from going under. And it protects balance sheets of large companies that would not be able to function without that kind of capital available to them through insurance. Yeah, definitely. I I totally agree with that sentiment. I remember just about two years ago, three years ago, when I was just starting to get my feet wet in cyber, it was a completely different market environment. We didn't really get that level of information that we're getting today. A lot of times, if you were underwriting a Fortune 500 companies, you were given a very high level overview of what they do. You were directed as an underwriter to their 10K and and you were asked if you could do a $10 million line. So we're definitely in a different market environment today. But it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, this this correction is kind of necessary, it sounds like, to build a more sustainable market. What I've heard from um, being on the road in the last three weeks, starting with net diligence and then spending some time with brokers, I've heard an interesting comment from a broker asking if we think that the market has lost some credibility because it seems like one day we just woke up, realized ransomware is a threat and started asking questions about backups, MFA and and things like that. And I I don't know if I completely agree with that. I think um, 
this threat landscape caught everybody by surprise. Maybe the speed and velocity of, of claims and how they developed um, could have been better. And, and the way we were asking those questions in the past probably could have been better as well. Um, but do you think that the market has lost some credibility to, in, in the way that we're reacting to this threat environment right now? I wouldn't say we've lost credibility as a market. I do think that a lot of expectations have not been equally passed along in terms of the chain, uh, which has definitely added to a loss in terms of trust, potentially also credibility. But claims are being paid out. They're being paid out in millions of dollars every single day. And if something is being denied, and I've heard very little of any claims being denied these days, it comes down to a company really doing something that probably was uninsurable. And I think the line between what is insurable and uninsurable is a lot easier in more traditional property and casualty lines. And with cyber, it's blurred in so many ways because it's a new product, it's a new frontier, but also cyber touches so many other products. It touches DNO, directors and officers, touches crime, it touches property. And I think that was the answer for the last five years was on a cyber policy. We had incredibly, incredibly broad terms. And I think there's a lot more pushback now to say, no, this is a traditional property product. This probably should sit on your property program or just using that as an example. But I think the question now becomes, is it even insurable? And I think that that, I don't think it takes away credibility from the underwriting community on that. I think it actually gives us more visibility to say, this is something unless you guys, and by I say you guys, you the market, you as buyers of the cyber product have to have more skin in the game in terms of your compensating controls, in terms of your own cybersecurity and awareness because we cannot front the bill if your only protection against a breach is to buy insurance for it. So credibility, probably not, but I think that it's just the right time to have the conversations. And those conversations don't always go great if the communication isn't seamless among the whole process of the purchase. What do you think about that, Margaret? Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the point several times about this product paying claims. I'm happy we kind of moved away from the time in the market just a few years ago um, where the, the press was just reporting about cyber not paying claims without really digging into the details that it was in fact non-cyber policies like property policies that were not paying cyber claims. But traditional product I think is true and tested and, and we're in a good spot over there. In terms of communication, um, it's something I have been thinking about as well. I wonder to what extent this market dynamic is exacerbated by the fact that a lot of participant, participants, and when I say participants, I mean broker community and underwriting community, have not really been through, through a, a true hard market before. Everybody's, like you said, this is still a very new market, a very new product, and by definition, everybody that participates in it is still fairly new. Maybe they came from other lines of business like ENO, but they haven't probably been through a, a solid hard market. And I wonder if the reason why there's sometimes miscommunication when we're trying to negotiate individual deals come from the fact that underwriters don't really know how to handle 
the situation that they're in, the fact that they perhaps need to have a deeper conversation with a broker, what do they require from the get-go, um, have the checks and balances internally done um, so they can convey a consistent message about what they're looking to do. Yeah, I think consistent is the keyword. I would really focus on that. And I think there are definitely carriers. But I think the the thing that brokers are really harping on, which is then being passed on to their clients, is potentially the inconsistency of the market. And I don't know if we've been inconsistent. Again, I'm using we as the community of underwriters. <laughs> I think every single risk is different and unique. And it's really hard for us to give one whitewashing of an entire class of business or an entire size of business or type of business or risk and say, this is how we want to proceed. So I think that that has been really difficult for brokers to communicate back that, you know what, this company wanted to write your primary at these terms and conditions. And then to them, they see another risk, which they think is very similar saying, well, why can't you do it here? Yeah, no, I agree that this line of business definitely doesn't lend itself to a checkboxing box, uh, box checking, sorry, exercise. It's definitely a lot more complex than that. Um, going forward, so we don't destruct demand where clients are just fed up with what they're seeing from brokers and from underwriters in terms of their renewal terms. Uh, if they can't get their tower towers filled, if they can't get the coverage that they need, I think we have to walk a pretty fine line over here and not to discourage potential buyers down the line from entering and, and purchasing cyber um, as, a, as a way to protect their balance sheet. But you've touched on something that I'm very curious about, the fact that you, you have the primary underwriter experience, and I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. You've been with SCORE for the last five, uh, five months now. What the transition has been from being a primary underwriter, low access underwriter, to where you are right now, sitting a little bit higher up on programs? Do you feel like that gives you an edge as an underwriter? Does that make your life uh, different, easier, better, worse? What does that look like? It's a loaded question. I think that <laughs> a simple answer. My underwriting has changed. I think my underwriting is the same. This is incredibly labor intensive to be a cyber and tech underwriter. What has changed immediately since coming over to SCORE is not handling primary accounts. When you're paying a cyber claim first dollar, you're looking at things very differently. And as a primary market, you have to write a huge market share to do that profitably. And that comes with portfolio-based underwriting. So you have the ability to say yes and no to some deals, but at the same time to get the amount of limits out to get enough money in. So a lot of the primary markets today and uh, definitely in the last two years wrote a lot of stuff that didn't have the best controls. Maybe it wasn't the most optimal of pricing. There are a lot of calls, you know, for growth. So there's a huge reckoning, way more um, in primary than in the access markets right now. We're seeing primary rates go up, I'm not being facetious, up to 500% or more on the primary alone. And in past states, you would see a tower, the majority of pricing would be held within primary and first access. And that has changed dramatically in the last year, especially in the last six months. But it is 
it's the same underwriting. I think it does give me an edge because I have the relationships and the expertise to look at something and be very critical. And these days as a access player, I'm looking at that portfolio-based approach in a different light. I am looking only for things that fit my portfolio. And I feel no pressure from brokerage community to write things that I don't want to. Yeah, well said, well said. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a painful environment that we're we're currently in. Correction from from pricing, capacity restraints, but I think in the end the industry is gonna come out in a better shape than it was. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What do you think is gonna happen in a in a 12 to 18 months? When do you think we're gonna arrive at some sort of equilibrium in terms of pricing, in terms of coverage? Do you think we have another 12 months of pain to go, or, or do you think that the steady state is going to arrive a little bit sooner than that? I think we are going to steady out gradually. I do see that we'll have probably another 18 to 24 months of a hard market. Are we going to see this ramping up? Are we going to see another 500% increase on primaries? Probably not. I think where the most increases are going to continue to come are going to be high access where before it was not just unheard of, it was quite common to write things for, you could write a million dollars of coverage for 4,000 US dollars, which just sounds so silly. And a lot of a lot of deals still have some of that very unsustainable pricing on it. And it does nobody any good to have that still on their towers. They're, you're gonna see them burn, you're gonna see them remove themselves from the market, and then you end up where we are now with, a supply and demand completely out of whack. There is very little supply in terms of capacity and more than ever, brokers really need the support to fill out these towers because insureds do stay up at night. We're both interested in seeing this move forward and it's no longer risk transfer 100%. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think uh, we probably have another six months or so or eight months or so of, of, of repricing of risks. But going forward, um, I think the focus will be much more on looking at the product itself, making sure that the coverage is fit for purpose, taking a look at some of the coverage um, uh, enhancements that have been added in the last couple of years that um, can pose aggregation issues to insurers. I think there's going to be a lot more focus on skin in the game, if it hasn't been already, uh, that the insured has, uh, frankly. I mean, uh, I don't think a company that is a, f- a $50 billion um, company should be carrying a 1 million SIR when they're buying a, a huge cyber tower. So I think those retentions still have potential to go up. But I think from a pricing perspective, um, hopefully we'll be in a much better spot 12 months from now. I don't think, um, like you said, that we're going to see price decreases going forward. I think what we're doing right now is kind of setting a baseline level, so to speak, and then we'll take it from there. I'm sure there there will be other things that we'll be worrying about 12 months from now other than ransomware. So to be seen, exciting market. Thanks for the yeah. conversation, Adriana. Thank you to all of our guests for joining today. You can subscribe to the Score Innovation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other audio platforms and be our first listener to new episodes. If you want to share your insights with us, then send us a message at scorepodcast at score.com. Stay tuned and see you at the next episode 
of Score Innovation Podcast.